Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2023. My name is Tori, they, them, and with me are... Della, she, her. And Sarah, she, her. (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for returning as a guest. We're always happy to have you. Actually, when was the last time Sarah was on? Beatles? Beatles, that's right. Yes, yeah. yeah. It was funny because I was in Colorado on vacation when we did that, which was uh, maybe a year ago. And then I was just on vacation in Colorado again last week. So we almost we almost had like almost an anniversary <laughs> almost recording. Re- repeat. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. No, but it's, so- it's good I'm here because um, I think my, uh, my Wi-Fi wasn't great or something. So anyway, <laughs> we're here in the home studio. Okay, so what, what old band are we talking about this time? <laughs> um, interesting question. Um, what's the band that does that song? You're the best around. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I should know that. Keep me down. Well, they're Joe? like a, it's like a one hit song, and it repeats way too often. Don't I loved it as a kid, but uh, Joe Esposito <laughs> is mm, the okay. is the artist there. As the artist. Oh, okay. So not even a band. See, okay. Well, that is not who we are talking about, though maybe peripherally we are talking about Karate Kid today and a little bit Karate Kid, a little bit Cobra Kai because Sarah has a vast knowledge of Cobra Kai and the fandom related to it. And I have watched Cobra Kai and watched a lot of, I watched the Karate Kid movies a lot growing up, um, especially the fourth one. But no, we're not going to talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> it was on TV all the time, okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, what's y'all's experience with Karate Kid? I've seen the first movie and the second movie once, I think. Mm. <laughs> you never watched the third one? I was going to as a prep for this episode, but then I didn't. <laughs> that is okay. People say it's not the best, though. I actually watched like half of it last night, and I was like... It's all right. I think people just don't like the fact that like Daniel gets all twisted up when he's like, shouldn't, you know, mm-hmm. he should have the experience not to. <laughs> I don't know. Sarah, what's your background <laughs> with Karate Oh, man. Well, first of all, <laughs> Karate Kid 3. Yeah, Karate Kid 3 is a total trip. Um, it is very different. I mean, Karate Kid 1 is the classic. It's a classic movie. Everybody knows it was written by a guy named Robert Mark Kamen. Um, who is like a martial artist and I don't know, was in Hollywood. I don't remember what else he's written, but it was directed by John Avelson, who did the Rocky films. And it had like a decent budget and like great cast. And it's just like a well-made movie. So it's a classic. Karate Kid 2 is like the sequel that, I mean, there's some fans that like Karate Kid 2 over the original, but not that many. Most people agree the original is better. But it's it's a pretty good sequel and then Karate Kid 3 is just off the rails absolutely insane it is written by the same screenwriter but like the plot is totally unhinged um but in a in a way that it goes so off the rails that it's like any closer to sanity would actually make it a worse movie because it's almost <laughs> like a spectacle like it has this megalomaniacal like chemical ceo that um kind of concocts this elaborate scheme to entrap a teenager back into a karate tournament so that he can hire this other 
like 20 something year old that is somehow allowed to compete against high schoolers. And like, I, I can't even describe it to you, like how stupid the movie is, but in a way it's like hilarious in its own right. Yeah. Well, so I think yeah, camp. it's insane. Like, mm. I, I think it's campy and that's why I love it. Cause I was watching it. And I was like, the cinematography is actually really good. Um, the line, de- like it's enchanting the line delivery and like watching Terry Silver, 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 Silva, yep. Silver, Terry Silver, Silver. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like his character. The last scene I watched before I went to bed was him smoking a cigar in a bubble bath when he hires Mike Barnes to, <laughs> to come and like, you know, they're negotiating. He's like 25 percent, 50 percent. And it's like it's this kid walks in and this guy is sitting in a bubble bath smoking a cigar negotiating <laughs> salaries while his maid is right there like oh it's it's off the wall dude um, do you do you fight as hard as you negotiate or there's some corny line <laughs> yeah, yeah the yeah. the hot tub negotiation is like such a classic scene in that film and yeah um not to go too far on chronic at 3 but the actor Thomas Ian Griffith he he would he would come to return in Karate Kid. Oh, sorry, in Cobra Kai season four. I think I'm going to get all these wrong, but um, it's four, yeah, yes. And he is yeah. like, yeah, something about like the fans always do kind of talk about his over the top performance, but I think he really rose to the to the bar set by the script, and I think he for me really makes that film like he is so much fun. He's so camp, and, and in a way that like. While um, Ralph Macchio is always great, you can kind of tell that he was getting really sick of playing a 16-year-old. By the time Karate Kid 3 came along, he was, I think, 27, and he's playing 17, right? So, like, he's just... He does look 17, though. (laughs) He does. I don't know how. He's an ageless man. um, Yeah, it's paying off for him now, because I think he's 60, and he looks 45, um, but yeah, you get, so like his performance to me is a little, you could tell he's just exhausted and kind of bored with the whole thing. But so it's Thomas Ian Griffith as Terry Silver, which makes that film for me. I love his performance. He is the only reason to watch that film in my opinion. So yeah, totally great. So Del, at some point mm-hmm. you will have to watch that movie, probably watch it with Tori and Amato and make it some kind of drinking game. Um, that is the best way to do it. I, I could see I watching agree. it knowing it's a kitsch camp movie. That that's yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like you, you can't take it in the same vein as the first two, which I just yeah. you just can't. Like there's really there's no stakes in a way in in Karate Kid Three. It's like I guess there's technically higher stakes, but you I don't know. And the same thing Sarah said. It's so weird that you just can't take it seriously. Yeah, because yeah. the second movie got pretty serious talking about culture, you know, chopping ice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, there are stakes in it, but they're very bizarre manufactured <laughs> stakes. And it does, like, part of it is kind of fun that you do get Dark Daniel, as we call him. And he sort of, Terry mm-hmm. Silver manipulates him into, like, a place of anger. And, of course... <laughs> The the whole thing is Mr. Miyagi kind of bringing Daniel back to the light and showing him well, like what a true practitioner of karate, how they should kind of balance their life and fight for the right reasons and all that stuff. But it is re- so silly. So it's, um yeah, not quite the same classic yeah. setup as the first. Yeah. I like your the, your I, universe, Daniel. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I like the idea of like, which one... Which Zelda is it? Where you, they, they turn around and it's like Dark Dark Link. 
<laughs> oh yeah, that's uh, Ocarina, of Ocarina time. time. Yeah, yes. I, I just imagine just like sitting there, and then like, you see Daniel with like just the black color palette and like the <laughs> yeah. little scroll, yeah. little title on the bottom, <laughs> Dark Daniel. <laughs> yeah, that's and the boss funny. music starts. <laughs> it's true, and like that's the main reason I didn't like it when I was a kid because I was so invested and in relating to the character. I was like, how after two movies of being like this the whole point of Karate Kid is he's this protagonist who's always on the side of good and fights for what's right like I get what they were trying to do but anyway <laughs> um, we should probably transition I guess into talking about the fanfic though I think we're going to bounce a little bit around because I do want to explore yeah. the depths of Sarah's Cobra Kai knowledge as well yeah we, we did ask Amato to look up a uh, Karate Kid fanfic for us and he found us one of the few ones on fanfiction.net that was written before the Cobra Kai. So he gave the impression there wasn't a big um, choice, a lot of options. So, yeah, I, I tried to do some peripheral research into Karate Kid fandom and I couldn't find anything. Admittedly, I didn't try super hard. It but... seems like there wasn't too much before uh, Cobra Kai. Yeah, that's true. And even this fanfic is written in 2002, um, which would be. 20 years after the first movie came out. So, anyway, the fanfic is Backlashed by CNJ. Backslash? Backlashed. Oh. Backlashed. I, I never read it. I just kind of <laughs> looked at it. You never read the fanfic, Della? You're going to have a problem. I read the whole fanfic. I just, like, I don't read things. I, I think I pick up, like, the first and the last letter and then invent what the word in the middle is. <laughs> it's actually a common way that people read, yeah. But yes, by C, letter C as in I don't know, cat. <laughs> That's a terrible one. C and uh, cheese. As in cheese. C is in cheese. N is in Nancy. J is in Jorgensen. <laughs> J is in January. Don't get me started on, on the letter C. You know, it's an armchair linguist. I could go on for a while. I um every C in the word Pacific Ocean is pronounced differently. Are there just two? There's just two. Pacific. Specific, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Pacific Ocean. Oh, oh, ocean. ocean. Oh, the you phrase. Ocean. Okay, yes, Pacific Ocean. I was like, <laughs> I was just, we were both like Pacific. There's only two. Okay, yeah. Okay, that's legitimate. <laughs> Boy, so more on the letter C and our later episodes. For now, <laughs> we're talking more about the letters K for Karate Kid. Karate Kid. <laughs> Um, they didn't call it KK at one point. Yeah, it's been referred to as KK in the past. In fact, in my head, I want to say KK. It's a little scary to look at. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, when's the other shoe going to drop? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just been on the internet for a long time, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so let's see, let's see, let's see. This fic, Della, you told me you didn't have a very... Uh, you told me you didn't have a very good impression of it is that correct yeah um i was getting my car in to uh get fixed and while i was waiting for them to to call me back i sat in a diner and read this fanfic so i was pretty had had like rapt attention at that point <laughs> mm -mm. and we can talk about like the specifics later but like it just seemed like a well sarah you're a writer right <laughs> yeah you're still doing fan fiction writing and stuff like i had a lot of Concerns about like the style and construction and stuff, I guess. <laughs> That's how you phrase it. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's um, it's interesting. One thing, of course, is that like, yeah, this was written in two thousand one, and we're like writing on we're reading on fanfiction.net. and I feel mm-hmm. like I don't know. Part of me, I'm try. I was trying to think back to like reading a lot on fanfiction.net, and there were just like yeah. quirky stuff that you would just find in early fanfiction, like announcing POVs, for instance, like where it'll say Lucille or Daniel at the top. Like that is something you might still see a little bit on AO3, but like not that much. And you still get a lot of kind of like writers starting out that will go on AO3. Yeah. But it seems almost like a sort of a throwback thing that I see more often mm. on fanfic.net. So that is something like I haven't seen in a while where I thought I assumed starting reading this, this was all going to be Lucille's point of view. Like mm-hmm. the description, you know, of this. Uh, so the description of the fic reads, takes place after Karate Kid 3. Lucille is caught in a terrific struggle as she realizes that women are not treated as equals at her job as a data entry clerk. Does she have the courage to fight back? Meanwhile, Daniel is going through college. And I guess that last sentence kind of clues that we will see Daniel's point of view, but it takes maybe two or three chapters to all, all of a sudden it feels a little jarring. They're like, yeah. oh, yeah, Daniel, it now is. we're, I thought, I thought the whole thing was going to be Lucille's point of view starting out. And like the the writing is kind of where it's like very proper, but also like early internet tone a lot of times, like inappropriate uses of an exclamation mark. <laughs> yeah. For emphasis. And it is like including as like as a pro it's a prologue and the there's a prologue and then it's halfway through the third chapter before we get Daniel's perspective. Mm-hmm. So they're announcing Lucille at the top of every chapter and it's like okay 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 and then all of a sudden we're we're in daniel so it's uh there's definitely some flaws with the writing but i actually personally liked being that this well first of all it's it wasn't had nothing really it did not nothing to do with karate whatsoever which is fine i think which is fine yeah um and it has everything to do with lucille daniel's mom um Fighting, Sarah mentioned like fighting sex discrimination in the workplace. I kind of liked being in her head. I felt like she was a fun character to kind of go along with because, like, you know, she's no nonsense and she's not going to put up with any shit. And a lot of her reflections are about how, like, kind her son is and how much she loves him. So I feel like this is like along the lines of one of those wholesome fix where, like, it's just kind of nice to be in the character's perspective. Should we do a basic outline of the? What yeah, happens? I was just wondering that because, you know, it's funny. I don't think much happens, but does anyone want to take on that outline, John? Um, I did kind of like make some notes in that vein, so I can help out in that way if that would That'd be good. Because my outline is like two sentences, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I always, uh, I've, every time I come on RFR now, I feel like Amato is so great at sort of steering. I'm like, oh, I want to make sure I keep up. So like. <laughs> I I did this just this morning. Um, so yeah, and I guess I'll say like just starting out, yeah, when I saw that this was a Lucille point of view, I was like, oh, that's actually kind of cool. Yeah. Because if you see the original Karate Kid movie, like Randy Heller is the actress and she's just totally delightful. She's um, an actress that's from kind of Long Island, the Bronx, like that New York. So she's got this great like east coast accent of course she and daniel are supposed to be from new jersey when they go to california so they're already supposed to like stick out but she is just kind of larger than life um and 
I can't remember when I, I was listening to some podcast. It was probably either Cobra Kai Companion or there was another podcast that did great recaps that still does uh, Karate Kid content, which is called um, Are You Karate Kidding Me? And the host, <laughs> Colin and Jenny are great. Yeah. And they do like these walkthroughs of the movies and the episodes and they're really insightful. But um, I think it was those guys who sort of pointed out to me one time, they're like, there's this whole story with Lucille going on in the background of that first movie that's not pointed out to you. But if you kind of watch closely, you see, so in the beginning of the movie, Lucille and Daniel are in the station wagon. They're driving across the country. Lucille's talking about how great California is and how much Daniel's going to and love California and he's not going to miss his friends. And Daniel's this teenager and he's very sulky, not excited about California. And then, um, so, so Lucille's constantly like bigging up the state. And when they get to this apartment, she's like, oh, it's great. It's got this pool. And then in the, lots of people remember that movie. Like it's the first you see of the pool is like this scummy pond. Yeah. So there's like, you can tell that Lucille's just, she's really trying to get Daniel to enjoy this. And But what they don't point out explicitly is that obviously there's no father. Like Daniel doesn't have a dad. And you find out later that his dad has died. So you know that Lucille's a widower you kind of can infer that she's like traveling across the country um, for a job. I think they do say that she's like getting a job in computing, which is like uh, plays a big part in this fic. But then in that movie, like one of those early scenes you see of Lucille, she's working at a restaurant as a hostess. So then you go, oh, you infer that like the computing job that she traveled across the country for like Mm. did not pan out. And now she's working at a restaurant. And so while Daniel's having this whole epic with bullies in his world, you can kind of infer that Lucille's a single mom. She's a widower. She's working as a waitress now instead of this like computing job, she thought. And so I don't know. It's like the interesting to think about like, well, what is going on in this adult world while this like teenage Mm -hmm. drama? So that's kind of, it's an interesting premise to sort of think, to go into Lucille's point of view. Of course, this fix, so it happens- it takes place after the third movie, which she's really written out of Karate Kid one or out of Karate Kid two and three. So yeah, we have the fic is seven chapters, and it opens up um, where Daniel is picking Lucille up at the airport after she's taking care of Uncle Louie, who is like you very like they mention this in like a sentence in Karate Kid three. So that's kind of where they take the premise. Um, yeah, and that first chapter yeah. is like Lucille just gives you a rundown of like everything that she's been doing during Karate Kid two and three, and it is kind of like if you're going to critique it, it's a little like, um, what do you call that? Like expository writing, or is it, there she's just explaining everything that happened. Yeah. Um, but that's the way that they kind of catch you up, and then, um, yeah, I don't know how, I don't know. Um, Minute, I'm looking for a word here. I don't know how intimate, how much detail we want to go, but I think the main takeaway from that first chapter is basically setting it up. And then she, you do see that at the very end, she has some conflicting feelings about um, kind of moving to California. Like, was that a good idea anyway? Because Daniel is having all these angsty feelings about what he's just experienced in Karate Kid 3 with this big tournament. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was an interesting fan fiction thing where they talked about like, the reason for coming to California is always that the fans trying to like 
reconcile or fix the initial problem that started the action in the first place. <laughs> right, right. And they, like Sarah pointed out, sees on little details. Because I do remember in Karate Kid 3, there's one scene where, like, they mention taking care of Uncle Louie, but then there's also one scene where you see Lucille and she's uh, on the phone with Daniel and, like, Louie's in the background, like, get off the phone. I need you to help That's me right. now. Like, he seems like a jerk. And there's, like, a little reference in this book. I don't remember where it was to him kind of, I don't know, kind of being a jerk. So Speaking um, of the canonical... I don't know if they mentioned whether he's still alive or not, though. I was like, you know, he sort of seemed like he was uh, on his <laughs> last legs there. But it's fine. I, I was thinking of canonical details. They dropped a lot of little stuff here. I was wondering how much of this was from the source material. Like, they mentioned Daniel's birthday being December 16th. Is that mm-hmm. is that actual? That is canonical. And you know that because in the first film, the night before the tournament, Daniel celebrates his birthday and like blows out some candles. And so, yeah, that's like a canon thing that Daniel's birthday is the night before the tournament. And then fans, you know, fans that are really into the details, there is like a tournament poster in the movie that says, I think it's December 17th then is the mm. tournament. So the fans then infer, oh, Daniel's birthday is this day. So, yes, yeah. I noticed that as well. <laughs> I, and then I wonder, the car that he's driving up to the airport is the yellow convertible. That's a 1947 Ford that Miyagi gives Daniel. So he's still driving it, you know, in this story. <laughs> that's yeah, that's right. That was his birthday present. Um, Yeah, I wonder, like, sometimes I wonder about these sorts of authors, right? <laughs> did they just watch the movie so much and were so into it? They remembered all this or did they go through, they have like a tape or DVD and like go through and make notes on <laughs> everything they wanted to include. I would guess it's like collected fan knowledge, you know? Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah, they may have even like gone to a forum and posted with other Karate Kid fans. Like I'm surprised that I didn't find a developed fandom here in Honestly, again, my research was so surface level. So if anyone knows anything about kind of the old school Karate Kid fandom, like Probably before just, Cobra Kai, like not especially. connected to the modern stuff, I think. Yeah. But like, please, please yeah, hit us up if us you know. do know, because I love Karate Kid growing up and I, I can't imagine there's not like some form of fan community around it. Right. Yeah. But as somebody that um, comes from like a cartoon fandom and stuff where people try to find out exact heights of characters from shots when they're standing next to a doorknob. I, I appreciate this uh, attention to, to canon details. It's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Wait. kind of like early 2000s. You did have the internet, obviously, and you did have forums. But yeah, the, uh, yeah, they could have just, they probably just had like a VHS or, but I can't remember when DVDs became a thing, to be honest. Um, Around 2000, right? Okay. It seems Ooh, about that time. Yeah. I know. That's why but, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, tape, DVD, I like, tape, right? Well, I, I got like a DVD player for my birthday and The Matrix <laughs> DVD. Yeah. It was around 2000, I think. Oh, yeah. That was, I think. But um, yeah, but you didn't have the convenience of streaming or like YouTube. I mean, I guess you had YouTube, but people weren't clipping films as much. So yeah, if you wanted to go get those details, you just had to, yeah, rewatch the film and pause and take notes so it it still was a little more laborious than me i can yeah. just pull up netflix right now and scrub to the exact place i want i can screenshot it you know all that stuff so there was some of that but it was still kind of in its infancy i think yeah i, I think we, we should just talk about the like the quick story beats yeah so yeah. we covered um picking up Chapter one, which is yeah. actually titled, I, I messed this up. It's actually titled prologue, but it's still chapter one because then we move on to chapter two. And chapter two is extremely short. Um, it's just Lucille helping 
yeah, Daniel move into a new apartment because he's going to college. Yeah, that's about it, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. You you see that she's no longer at the South Seas apartment because that was destroyed in Karate Kid Three, I think. And you you find out she's still working for this. <laughs> yeah, there's a, yeah, which is funny because they bring that apartment, that original apartment, they bring it back in Cobra Kai, but they they did for some reason decide to like. I think it was a plot device that. Daniel had to stay at Mr. Miyagi's, something like that. Mm. But so she's got her own apartment. We find out, yeah, Daniel's in college and she is working at this computer company, which she's done the training for, which we saw in Karate Kid 2, I think. So they're kind of setting you up there to like where she's at. Um, yeah, yeah, though this chapter. chapter does say six months later. So I, yeah, then the first one, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, she's yeah. she's hoping to land a management position in her new company. And um, as we quickly see in the next chapter, that is not how things go. Yeah, which another big time skip. The time in this fic kind of definitely jumps around a lot. So chapter two is six months later. Chapter three is one year later. And we find Lucille in a boardroom. There's some guy named Gary who is like... Fucking Gary. Fucking Gary. <laughs> So it's what is later. he, what do we say? He is like the Johnny Lawrence of the stories, <laughs> like the shit Johnny Lawrence. Yeah. Oh my so God. He's, yeah, he's, he's pitching yeah. an idea that we quickly find out was Lucille's idea. So he's clearly the bully who has stolen her unnamed, whatever this idea is that would help out the company. So he's yeah. getting credit for it. In chapter three, we get the first line <laughs> where Gary says, after all, this is the 80s and I've won here. You get it, don't you? <laughs> and like, who talks like that? Yeah. People in Karate Kid, villains in Karate Kid movies talk like fair, that. Fair after enough, is, they do. <laughs> after all, this is the 2020s. You get it, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah. an interesting thing that keeps coming up. Is like, Lucille's like, this is the 80s. We should be more progressive. Well, and the guys are like, this is the 80s, uh, well, ladies. I, I did take a, take a note every time they mentioned... The late 80s, which was a lot. <laughs> uh, considering for the rest, I'll, I'll mention it when it comes up. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it is like the character of Gary, especially, and sort of the situation is um, obviously a little bit cartoonish. Uh, but to be fair to the author, in a way, yeah, the Karate Kid universe is, is kind of like. I mean, the like the whole in the Karate Kid, it's set in the valley and it's set up as like this kind of like rich kids versus poor kids. Um, you know, Daniel mm -hmm. is kind of the brown kid amongst the sea of white kids. So it does set up all these contrasts, which in a way is it's like a cartoonish kind of parable, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, Gary is, is pretty ridiculous. Gary and his friends, they're just kind of like oh, silly women, stay in your place kind of kind of thing in this. Um, but yeah, let's see what happens. So he steals her idea, but she doesn't say anything. She just kind of feels quietly humiliated. Yeah. I think we get a bad day at work uh, when she tries to go home. Her car almost breaks down and she's worried and she gets home and her yeah. dinner's ruined and the sink's <laughs> flooding. Yeah. <laughs> there's something about how she, yeah, I don't remember if it's this chapter. Is it this chapter where she microwaves the macaroni yeah. for the same amount of time or no, puts in the oven puts for the same the amount oven. of time. And yet it still turns out rubbery and it's yeah. just like everything's kind of just going wrong for like in a way that's beyond her control. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is. She, um, yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I need to be signaling. When I talk. No, no. We're all talking over each other. So. We'll just talk. 
Go ahead. Um, well, I was just going to say those are all kind of Karate Kid references too. I feel like like there's in, in Karate Kid three, Daniel mentions that mac and cheese is his favorite meal, and in this like, <laughs> and there, it's funny. There's this like cartoonish line where he's like, "Mac and cheese, I love it," or I can't remember. Like, <laughs> other Cobra Kai fans will like know what I'm and talking about. <laughs> delivery, excellent. That's hilarious. oh yeah, <laughs> uh, over the top. And then, of course, the sink is just like the first scene. One of the first scenes in Karate Kid is when Daniel gets into this new crappy apartment. Uh, he tries to um, turn on the kitchen sink to fill up a bowl of water for this dog. And it splashes up. And Lucille's like, oh, I forgot to mention the sink is broken. There's supposed to be a handyman around here. Go find him. Of course, that ends mm-hmm. up being Mr. Miyagi. So the sink oh. thing. And then, and the, the yeah, the car not reference. working. Yeah. The sink, yeah. yeah, right? So they, they are putting in these little, like, canon references. And, of course, the car um, has always been... A, the, the car was, like, this big thing in the original movie because it, it's a really stark signal of, like, Daniel's kind of lower class because, like, when he's trying to court Allie, like, he tries to take her out, they drive the station wagon to her house. And we've already seen in another in an earlier scene that, like... This car is like, you know, half broken down and it's a manual. And so it has a problem with the ignition and they have to push it, like start, get it rolling and then pop it in gear while it's rolling and then like run and jump into the moving car. Like this is a thing that people can do with the older manual cars. And so when he's picking up Allie, this rich girl with this huge house, like there's this great scene. One of the best scenes in the first movie is like, you know, Lucille rolls down the window and she's like waving hello to Allie's par- <laughs> like stodgy, like rich parents. And they're kind of like shocked to see this car and this like woman who's loud. And then Allie is super sweet. She gets in the car. She's happy to see Daniel, but Daniel's already embarrassed. And then they're like, all right, let's go on your date. And Lucille tries to start the car and it won't start. And Daniel like looks over at Lucille and you can just tell Daniel is just dying inside because they both know what has to happen next. But it's a really sweet scene, actually, when um, Lucille turns to Allie and she's like, you know how to drive stick? And Allie's like, yeah. And so she tells Allie how to like put it in second gear and pop it at the pop the clutch at the certain time. And out, so Allie plays along with it great. But like Daniel is just completely humiliated by this like. They have this crappy car. So it's a real like stark reminder of their like lower class where Allie's up here, Daniel's down here. Um, so anyway, the fact that Lucille is still dealing with this car is kind of like a referencing back, I think, to the to the original movie. It's interesting what you just said made me think about the fact that like we don't we like Lucille in the movies, even though we don't get a lot of well, I do <laughs> in yeah. the movies, even don't get a lot of her. She seems she's a supportive parent. You know, she's boisterous and she's kind of just you can tell that she knows that these rich people are looking down on her, but she's not going to let that change her behavior. Yeah. But this fic, I think, was really an attempt to explore that sort of internal side because there's plenty of moments. And I don't know, maybe it's not in character for her to have backed down during that meeting and not stuff for herself, but maybe, maybe not. Right. She's got a kid who's in college. She's, you know, she's got like responsibilities and she can't necessarily afford to lose her job um but you get a lot more of especially in this chapter her just being like breaking down like i this is too much and i'm overwhelmed which any human yeah does at a point you know i was gonna say all those little details of the stuff that didn't work feel felt really um 
relatable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I had a car. I, I had to. I got a portable jump box. I had to jump it every time. <laughs> I, I, I turn it on. <laughs> oh yeah. Then, then I, then I plug into the dash and charge the jump box as I was driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some. Maybe it's later. Okay, yeah. It's, it's there's a line in chapter five. I won't jump ahead all the way, but. Where all of this type of thing just builds up and she has a bit of a breakdown. But yeah, this is all just kind of building up yeah. her stress levels. And then uh, at some point, uh, what's his name? Daniel? I was going to say David. That wasn't right. <laughs> Ralph Macchio. <laughs> the karate kid calls <laughs> and says, hey, I have the apartment to myself. Uh, do you want to come over for a night and have some dinner? Which... In my note here that I wrote down, I, I was doing, I was playing editor apparently. I, I took the section and it's like, is this needed? You just need to say, on the phone with Daniel, he mentioned he had, he had the apartment to himself, inviting me to spend the night with him. Feeling down, I took him off on the offer. But when the original fic was like, just dialogue of, I have the apartment to myself this weekend, my son told me that night over the phone. So why don't, don't you come over tonight and spend the night? Sure. I was feeling a bit better hearing from Daniel. So about seven? Sounds good. After we hung up, I packed a couple of overnight bags and an overnight, a couple of overnight things in an overnight bag and head over to Daniel's place. It's just like a lot of this fix sounds like someone telling you about their day <laughs> more than a story. <laughs> it does. Yeah. And like, especially considering, you know, the kind of, even though it's the drama is mostly uh, karate tournaments and karate kid, <laughs> which like, but it is dramatic and they make yeah. you believe it's dramatic. This this has drama and it has tension, but it's way more that interpersonal stuff. And um, yeah, this is kind of, yeah, it's interesting. Like I mentioned, like this is also another scene where Lucille just kind of like breaks down. But Daniel's role in this is just to be sweet and supportive. Yeah. Like he doesn't have to do any heroic stuff. He just, well, I guess it's heroic enough supporting your mom, but he's just, adorable he's just like a good he's kid. just the best son yeah, he's just a good like, boy yeah he's a good boy <laughs> yeah yeah they do yeah good like boy. you said they they switched to daniel's point of view i think this is our first daniel point of view yeah right at the end of this chapter yeah so they're at his apartment yeah he gets up in the middle of the night lucille's kind of having a nighttime cry session which is like very sad and he comforts her and you see that he feels protective of her and that he, I think it closes on like he's determined to sort of maybe even consult, I think, Mr. Miyagi and find a way to help his mom. Yeah. Which ends up, I feel like, being a bit of a false tease because Mr. Miyagi actually yeah. doesn't help at all. <laughs> but Daniel like, does find a way to kind of help his mom. Yeah, it does sound like Daniel's angling to take a more active part in the story, which is, just doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. But like, I don't know, the author specifically said they wanted to deal with Lucille. And this is good, I think. Yeah, this there's, is, there's lots to explore there. Yeah. And this is a 13,000 word fanfic, which is short story length. Like, it's not, it's not super short, mm -hmm. but it's not a, uh, it's not a novel. You know, there's only so much that they could explore it. And I will always say that I admire authors who can do something short and concise, though there is something that's going to come up <laughs> at the end of this. Yeah. Um, and before we leave this chapter, there's mentioned, uh, about it being the 80s and there towards the end. So that, <laughs> yeah. there's another one put on the board. It, it is funny knowing that this was written in 2002, how often <laughs> they mention it's the 80s. <laughs> it's like as if we didn't know when Karate yeah. Kid was, uh, maybe you mentioned it <laughs> yeah. once. 
Well, someone, someone was saying this was supposed to be the late 80s. This was supposed to be the 80s, but I'm sorry to hear that there are some Neanderthal guys out there who think of females as second-class citizens, which is just really awkward dialogue <laughs> on all fronts. Yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting to see. Um, yeah, I mean, never, uh, obviously, all fakes have their kind of good and bad points. It did feel, and you see this author was still posting in 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. So... Um, this is obviously an early work for them. Yeah. Um, so it would talking about someone's early work, but like, yeah, it's there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, and it, so it feels a little bit like, you know, and everybody's a different level. So I don't want to say like, it's a, it's a bad thing or thing. Cause actually there are strong points. Like the, like the grammar for the most part is like super mm-hmm. solid. Um, you know, uh, and I was interested in these characters, but yeah, so there's some kind of like maybe awkward, Dialogue or exposition at, at times, like like the amount of times where, where Lucille's stomach drops or twists, or I'm like, oh my god, this poor woman, she probably has like an ulcer by now. Like, oh yeah. no, which is obviously they're they're illustrating her building anxiety, which is really important. But that felt a little repetitive as well. But um, but yeah, and I so I think that's probably the most of the stuff in um chapter three. Yeah. Yes. And four, she tries to get a loan to go to computer school, I think. That would happen uh, not. Hold on, let me see. I think that's chapter five. Um, yeah. It takes a while. So we have another starting the chapter with Lucille's perspective and basically are going, I feel better about talking to my son and getting some of my fear out, but I still felt a kind of pressure. Um. Mostly the, with her coworker Anne, who supported yeah. her earlier in the previous chapter when she was upset, or and, and she told her to, to stand up for herself. Her friend Alicia, which is an original character, who's her friend from New York, who's also in, into computers, and mentions yes. the opportunities are endless and the demands for this job is growing. Hey, it's the late eighties. There you go again. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think the importance of it is that we find out that Anne is being let go, so she's packing up her desk. And so this kind of like introduces like the action of like the problem is like these these women that um, are either not being. I, oh, I think in the previous chapter there was we hear we heard Anne actually kind of stand up to a guy named yeah. Charles, which is like one of Gary's lackeys mm-hmm. or whatever. So now Anne's being fired. So we see like what's going on. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. she calls Lucille, then goes home or there's a time jump, I think, to the weekend. Lucille calls this woman named Alicia, Alicia or Alicia. Yeah, old friend from New York who's a computer programmer. This is obviously the like where we're aiming to be eventually is like Alicia. Um, but she suggests that like, oh, you need to find a new job, like send us some resumes and then you can sue your, co-. she's like, you know, she's basically telling her you need to stand up this company. But Lucille's like, I can't, I need this job. She's like, well, you need a new job. So that's yeah. kind of like sets up where the story is going. Yeah. Um, yeah. Alicia plans to come and visit. Um, she starts sending out resumes to different places trying to get work and then oh she does apply for the loan in this one yeah so I'll add for a loan oh yeah and they turned her down because they said so you're making just 12,400 a year the woman asked appearing at me in a minute then the paper and that was too low which is odd because I feel like that's not an insignificant amount of money in 80 Late 80s. Late 80s, yeah. Uh, In the late 80s, yeah. It is $32,181 in 1988, which I hope is late 80s enough. And like Daniel's (laughs) over 18, so he's no longer her dependent. So that's income for like 
legally speaking income just for her. I feel like they give her a loan. Oh, they mentioned, I think earlier that working at the bonsai shop with Mr. Miyagi, he earns enough to buy textbooks and tuition. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, no, no. (laughs) That's one of my favorite parts of like the silliness of Chronic Hit 3 is like Daniel has like this college savings that assuming uh, Lucille has like helped save for him. And then I think Mr. Mm -hmm. Miyagi contributes. I can't remember. But like instead of going to college, I can't remember how much it is, maybe like 10 grand. He like buys this horrifically dilapidated building and then um I, I don't remember if he puts yeah. a sign up, but like he shows it to Mr. Miyagi and he's like, hey, Mr. Miyagi, this is your little fresh. <laughs> and like the business pitch is like they will sell bonsai trees, which yeah. like just then and I, now, I think like back then there was kind of a karate craze with like Bruce Lee movies and stuff. But it's like to be in California and try to sell mm-hmm. Bonsai trees is like, this is not a great business idea. And so, like, they kind of joke about that later in the karate or in the Cobra Kai show. Like, they kind of joke about how Daniel's first business idea never panned out. But, um, yeah, it's a, it was a bad idea. So that's where he's like supposedly making all this money. (laughs) It's hilarious because in the movie, they justify it by Miyagi going, like, oh, yeah, I really like a natural bonsai that is grown on its own will sell for thousands of dollars. And I'm like, where are you going to find one of those in California? Like, I just, uh, okay. Anyway. Yeah. Enough, uh, odd. <laughs> but like, Oh, actually, no, one more thing. It's actually, cause I just watched this really funny. Daniel actually has the money as cash and he just like keeps trying to hand it to Miyagi and he keeps turning it down (laughs) over and over. But I'm like, why do you have your college savings in your hand in cash? Yeah, I yeah, I don't remember why or yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, let's see. So, oh, so I guess she was trying to apply this loan so that she could take a college class to learn computer programming. So that was like the whole Aim well, the it's just a random class, I think. No, not. I don't think it was part of a college. It was oh, some yeah. sort of cre- accreditation or something. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> enough for yeah, the last. It doesn't. It could be a college class, and it could not be. There's plenty of ways to earn this accreditation that she. Yeah, she needs to take a couple of classes to be certified somehow. To I don't know how the eighties worked. <laughs> it was late eighties. Yeah. So Alicia comes into town right yes yeah or she agrees in this well, chapter i think she says she's gonna come out yeah but she, and then she and does the, the next chapter and yeah, she agrees daniel to calls a, her yeah which is to to convince her to come out earlier because he's worried about his mom so oh yeah this is a conversation between uh daniel and alicia where they said uh good idea alicia said and i know just what she needs too what a co-signer for loans so she can take classes to get a better paying mm. job, she told me. Be in the late 80s, everything's going computers now, and people need those skills more than ever. Amazing. <laughs> um, oh, and we do see Mr. Miyagi at the very end of this as well. So randomly, I think the next sentence, Daniel's at Mr. Miyagi's, and Mr. Miyagi is making a kite for some reason, so it's <laughs> cute. Uh, a little closer. <laughs> just a just a glimpse of Mr. Miyagi. Yeah, this yeah. is actually adorable. Mr. Miyagi, this is from Daniel's perspective. Mr. Miyagi, I called, bounding in his door. Mr. Miyagi turned and nodded, smiling softly. I finally got some good news. What is it? 
you know my mom's friend, the one that lives in New York in his computer program? Hi. And then Daniel's reflection is high as yes in Japanese. And I was like, thank you, author, I guess. But like, <sighs> sure, Daniel, whatever. Maybe that is how Daniel thinks. Like, I'm okay with it. Yeah. But he is like, kind of a know-it-all. Yeah. Well, I called her and she's flying out Friday, blah, blah, blah. Hi. Good. Mr. Miyagi nodded. Mama need to see friend when she hurts. Which, uh, it's so weird because I know that's how he talks in the movie, which actually is also awful. Yeah. But like hearing it, like looking at it written out, I'm like, that hurts my brain. Reproducing it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, the movie's also been criticized for that because like Pat Morita, it's... He's American. Native, like he... native English speaker. <laughs> yeah. Like he was asked to like... In, and Mr. Miyagi is supposed to be Okinawan and uh, he's asked to like invent, almost invent this uh, type of speaking. And it's kind of grating when you look back on it, like, but it's hard not to have that nostalgia at the same time. That's not an excuse. Totally. It's definitely wrong. But <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure written, like how much of that is uh, Robert Mark. I'm assuming Robert Mark Kamen probably did write that kind of, I don't know if you call that pid, pid, pigeon english i'm not sure he might have written that it, it is possible that um pat marita or some maybe native japanese speakers had some insight onto that i mean probably not but i don't know i guess i never want to give the benefit you know i always want to get the benefit of the doubt um but yeah mr miyagi is kind of like does talk like a sort of a cartoon japanese yeah. man yeah. but which sort of yeah it's like this kind of thing where it's like yeah we know it's like it's probably just some white guy so, so there's like some like you know i don't know what you would call that racist probably things there yeah. but um yeah. yeah there is part of me that's like oh it does feel nostalgic like i agree with you and it's like so mm -hmm. part of miyagi's charm is that he is able to convey these like really amazing spiritual philosophical ideas and like three words or something so like yeah. that is sort of part of the mystique of miyagi i feel like but yeah it's obviously also cartoonish so anyway it's sort of yeah the good well, and the bad there it's also almost like not to dive too deep into this unless we want to but i i was uh gonna just go on to the cute part but just for a second let let me say i think it's also rooted in um Oh gosh, like the mystical person of color. I, yeah. I forget the technical. Oh, like like a, Orientalism or um other. I yes, or like um the oh magical minority. Ma yeah, mm -hmm. magical. Yeah, mm -hmm. magical black person is usually how they put it. <laughs> well, they usually say magical something else, but yeah, yeah, uh, mystical. And my point is, is that yeah, it's like that you know a Native American person or a an older black person or an older mm. East Asian person comes in with their wisdom and then mm. pieces out of the narrative, you yeah. know, it like drops the knowledge and leaves, that, but they're that, always that's like usually combined with a white savior. I think. Yeah. But yeah. they're, they're always like there to serve the needs of the white protagonist. Um, and there's something like always like a little like magical and otherworldly about them, you know? Yeah. So yeah. that's, yeah. that's a problematic trope. <laughs> It is. But, I th I think one of the redeeming things about how it's used in Karate Kid is that Daniel is Italian. And now, like we would see, my Italian-Americans is like, it's not that much different from being white. But I think of the 80s, it was more of a thing. And then also it's really positioned against these like 
uber like blonde haired kind of white Cobra Kai, mm-hmm. almost like a Nazi youth kind of vibe to them. And so yeah. Daniel and Miyagi are like kind of these, you know, to put it simply like these small brown men and they're like physically more diminutive than these like big bulky mm-hmm. white kind of, yeah, sort of like, uh, I don't know, Aryan karate monsters and so that story in Karate Kid is like, it's a class story. It's a race story. So I think even though, yeah, they're like Miyagi can be sort of this like cartoonish yoga, Yoda figure. The fact that he is kind of helping Daniel, who is, who is also an outsider, that does make that story more powerful and still work today, I think. Furthermore, he doesn't purely function in that, that he's not really that mystical mm. trope, even though I think it's rooted yeah. in it. Because he has real feelings, he remains through the whole That's like true. the relationship between him and Daniel is one of the most important parts. Yeah. And you get to see, you know, he has a backstory, he has emotions, he has flaws, motivation. Like he's, yeah, he's yeah. not just like he's a very relatable character. Yeah. He's not just coming in like dropping the knowledge, being all like godlike. He's yeah, he's a real human, and yeah. I think yeah. that's. I, Maybe I, just the sort of progress that Karate Kid was going for. I was going to say, as people that probably came from that trope, they're probably taking that trope and transforming it into mm-hmm. a more human character. So this is a a step in the progress. Yeah. And Karate Kid 2 deepens that backstory yeah, um, that you mentioned, Tori. Like, and Miyagi is revealed as like a veteran, and they have specific sort of real-life details about his unit, which was an all Japanese unit that was the most decorated unit in World War II, and maybe even still today, I can't remember. Um, mm-hmm. But Cobra Kai Companion, um, their host, Peter, um, he did a whole video on Miyagi and that kind of historical stuff. But anyway, and Miyagi is like had a wife and a son that he lost. So that makes it more poignant, his bond with Lucille and Daniel, especially as kind of this found family thing going on. So yeah, I think that this movie and Karate Kid 2 did a lot of work in that making this a full-fledged character. Yeah. Yes. And and also, like, you know, Miyagi is not like, in the first movie, is not like instantly like, yeah, Daniel, let's learn karate. He has to be coaxed. Like, he's got, yeah. you know, some some trauma and some issues and some relationship stuff. And he's the, yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on. Yes. Uh, the next um, chapter, Alicia comes in and they get the loan, I think. Uh, yes. Yeah. She co-signs and helps her get the loan. Mm-hmm. Uh, is so. it bugged me a little bit that they didn't um, give you a good time scale of what it was between the last bang scene and this scene? But, you know, I, I think that's just kind of the, the pace of this fanfic. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, you know, they sometimes let you know how much time has passed. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. That's fine. It's fine. Yep. I did think, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about how this, uh, the writing kind of has some like weaknesses. Like it's not, yeah, the pacing is kind of strange and like it's a little repetitive at times. And it's first person, first person is always a little difficult for me to be honest. Like I think Mm. some people can pull it off, but I, I don't know why. It's just like I don't really like first person. But I thought a good, let me flip to that chapter real fast on. I thought like one of a kind of a strong line um, if I can find it here 
Um, okay, it's right at the beginning of this chapter. It's basically like everything has like piled up on Lucille, obviously up to this point. And um, it just kind of struck me as like very honest. So I'll just read a couple, this little paragraph here. She It says, um, uh, I think she's just got back from sending her resumes out and it's not working out. A bleak, oh, sorry. A black hopelessness rose within me and I wasn't sure I was strong enough to fight it off. I tried, but it seemed to seep through me relentlessly. I doubled over and curled inward. It felt like struggling with this awful feeling. I never knew life can be this awful for so long, I thought. Even the room seemed darker, the bright blue light outside feeling unreal. I was afraid to move as if something would shatter, maybe something inside me. So it's like, I was kind of, there's like stuff you can really pick at here. Like, oh my gosh, like the stomach thing again. Like she's like, what is going on with this woman's stomach? Which obviously Mm. is just a bit clumsy sort of an attempt, but she's trying to build this anxiety. But I thought that line... I never knew life could be this awful for so long. Like that just felt very like kind of direct and, but also powerful. And like, that is what, like, if you're kind of stuck in that cycle of like being poor, so you can't do the things you need to do to sort of get yourself up to like, maybe get a better job or a better apartment. And you just feel really stuck. Like, I think a lot of us, especially if you're like a poor, you know, if you're, lucky enough to go to college like that is for some kids like a long time you just kind of never recover from like paying all that tuition and and being at that economic level but some people never even get there and it's like constantly always got the bills piling up and like it's just tough so anyway I just wanted to point that out as like I thought that is something that I like like that little bit right there was very um powerful I thought for Lucille I think so too. And it, it points quite a bit to what I consider kind of the no frills style of writing this author mm. has. Um, most of their paragraphs are one or two sentences, which is a weird structure, but I feel like it actually does help. It's not traditional paragraph structure, but it helps kind of move you through these sort of short chapters. And mm. like there's... I w- there's nothing I would call out in this that's like really poetic or like right. a great piece of like lovely, beautiful writing like I tend to attach myself to. But mm. everything is described very accurately. And what I do like, especially about the structure of this chapter is like I mentioned this is a wholesome fic. The chapter ends with Lucille reflecting on how appreciative she is of Daniel and of Alicia. Yeah. Um, and that in and of itself, like very simple as well but it's really cute. Like she just says to them, I'm lucky to have you both in my life. I was feeling better than I had in a long time. Just having wonderful people in my life, like a great friend in Alicia and a swell, a swell son like Daniel (laughs) was keeping me going. (laughs) So like other than the word swell though, that's just like, it's cute. It's nice. It's fun. It's like, it makes you feel good to read. Yeah. I, Mm. I think a lot of what the short paragraphs stuff does is just like kind of, does make it feel kind of like uh you get the feeling of a I'm putting together what I'm thinking uh but banality like the commonplace day to day stuff which was mm-hmm. something that made it feel a little bit more accessible and relatable through, through those parts especially like the yeah. like the dark parts where like it if it just came out of nowhere it would seem a bit like over overwrought or something but like feeling talking about how things feeling bad for so long was relatable or 
you know, maybe I just should have been on medication sooner, but yeah, but it did uh, convey that, I think. Yeah, I think one of y'all used the word mundane, which I mm. think, yeah, just this fits this to a T, but like, you know, not in a negative sense. Um, it's like even the writing mirrors that mundanity. Yeah, well, mm. talking about like the, the pacing of the, like the temporal pacing of the action, because it's like a lot of this is day to day over uh, months, maybe, you know, years, <laughs> weeks, who knows? It, it all feels kind of hopeless. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they, oh, Alicia comes in, they get the job, uh, they get the loan, and then Alicia says the next step is finding a good computer school to teach you the skills you need, which I'm wondering if they had those in the, in the late 80s, but, yeah. So, uh, that kind of leads us into chapter six. Um, there, This is a seven-chapter story, and like I mentioned before, the chapters are short, but this is one of the longer ones. This is when... Lucille kind of, you know, she's taken the classes, gotten the certificate. Well, she's no. And now she starts. Oh, no, she's still taking the class at the beginning. She's of taking this. computer That's classes right. at computer school. Computer classes, computer school. Yes. <laughs> and um, some other stuff happens at work. Uh, does anyone want to take point on this? Well, I, I just want to mention how much of an ass Gary is being. Just like a stereotypical yeah. cartoonish bad guy. Hey, Lucille, Gary called as he passed my terminal in mid-January. Got any new ideas for us to toss around? Make this company advance? Like, come on, Gary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, like, straight up references the fact that he ripped off her idea before. <laughs> like, I was just like, I'm going to do it again, is basically yeah. the tone. Yeah, he's <laughs> really... I'll do it again. It's the late 80s. <laughs> it is. Yeah, he's being his classic, like, 80s movie villain... Yeah, so he, I guess, um, yeah, you guys mentioned that Lucia was taking those classes. She's still at mm -hmm. the company, obviously. Uh, oh, there's another woman named Vera who was also mm -hmm. trying to get a loan, but she doesn't get one. So the, yeah. one of the key things is that Lucille, she's like doing well, but she not only feels bad, but she offers to give private lessons in these empty offices. Um, so sort of like she's feeling empowered by these classes, so now she wants to kind of pass that on. So that's like... Probably her like key moment there as a character, um, but so they're trying to like do this on the down low, and then yeah, the I, I love that scene, Della, where like Gary, so so Lucille's doing all this on the down low, and then like you get this great scene where Jer Gary like swaggers up, and yeah, total asshole, just like total like just nothing, nothing but a cartoonish villain. Like, what's up, Lucille? Got any more ideas I can steal? Like. Fuck it, fucking later. Gary is right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's literally Gary from Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think like the only other important part in this is that, um, yeah, during one of these kind of secret computer lessons that Lucille is doing, um, we, we, uh, Gary does kind of like, we almost think he's seen what they're doing. Like he like pops up cartoonishly like during the yeah. lesson. Like they didn't see him, but he that doesn't catch on. Image. Yeah. Yeah. You just like see my mental image was up. they were all in a cubicle and he just like pops over the edge of the cubicle. Yeah. I don't know if that's what the author intended, but I can feel that energy. I can also see like slow hand, hand. Yes. <laughs> yes. So like she turns off the computer really quick and she's just like, no, we're we're just waiting for our rides home. Just you know, shooting the breeze. Blah blah blah. Um, he's like, I'll take your word for it, Lucille. 
Gary smiled, but his eyes were cold. I just hope you all don't let it turn into one of those little women's rap sessions that went around about 10 years ago. And in the late 70s, maybe early 80s. <laughs> yeah, in that was a weird 70s. that was a weird drop of a reference. Like, oh, maybe they'll kind of that's like I feel like you can tell one of the things about sort of maybe the writing. I shouldn't be pointing out things to critique. But as you write, you learn like you can drop something like that, but then like bring it later. Like maybe Gary's done this before. Maybe there was a whole revolt earlier 10 years ago, but like it's never mentioned again. So in this case, that detail is just unutilized. (laughs) Whereas like maybe, you know, if you were like a writer trying to learn from that, you would be like, oh, let's just like do something with it's like the gun on the wall Mm -hmm. thing. People always talk about Mm -hmm. if you have a gun on the wall, you've got to use it by the third actor or whatever kind Check of thing. Gun, but, yeah. but yeah, Gary does not notice. He he literally does take Lucille for her word. He doesn't notice anything <laughs> suspicious. And then we don't, yeah, nothing bad happens. Like Gary does not come back and be like, I'm on to you. Like he never does that. He just no. slinks coldly away. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh. That's an interesting thing about fan fiction is that they don't necessarily have to adhere to like dramatic story structure. Yeah, no, that's true. You have fan fictions where like nothing happens, and maybe that's the point. <laughs> yeah, well, and and I think that's fine. Like we mentioned, this is wholesome, and it's more focused mm-hmm. on Lucille and her getting all the other women to better positions, which does happen, but yeah. it involves them leaving the company, so they never actually change anything in the internal structure of that company. They just all get better jobs. They're all like getting better for themselves. I, I love the idea of her because like a lot of this is Lucille being down and. Uh, having a hard time with this but this is an example of lucille taking something and then like sharing and being strong and taking action and mm-hmm. I, I really appreciated that I, yeah I think, I think that was like the strongest part for me too yeah i i, I didn't have a, as many notes in this chapter i think that was just because i was happier <laughs> yeah, yeah true i mean and the yeah the fanfic is kind of picking up a, a positive note too and that's kind of how it ends is like yeah gary just slinking away and then we move on to chapter seven um which uh explains like lucille's point of view again i think it's all lucille's point of view no wait we get mr miyagi's perspective at the end for the first time i was so scared (laughs) right i was so scared we'll we'll get to that but like i I think i already kind of mentioned yeah every like a lot of the women get better jobs and lucille kind of summarizes that yeah, she um, basically completes her yeah. program. She gets congratulated over the phone. Mm-hmm. Alicia says she'll keep an eye out for programming jobs, and a programming yeah, job comes up. We offered you something here back east, which you know, famously, New York has more tech jobs than you know Silicon Valley yeah. in California yeah. Yeah. in the late eighties. Totally, yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, she fails to get a, but she does apply to jobs. Uh, weirdly enough, I don't think any of them are in, in LA, are they? I don't know, San Francisco or San, in San Diego or something like that. She doesn't get those interviews. She doesn't get callbacks for interviews, but she does get an interview with a position in New York. So. Yep. And then I think the rest, a couple of the women in the office, Vera, it says, gets a job. And that's the the gal who had been denied a loan before. He's doing a communications company in San Diego. Vera yep. is. Yeah. So it's, you can kind of see the fruits of Lucille's labor paid off. And then oddly, uh, I don't know, I thought this was odd, but it was nice, actually. On her last day at the company, the women, like, take a collection plate around and, like, give Lucille some kind of transition money. I was like, hey, come on, Lucille's going to be making the big bucks here, the programming job. Like, right. 
But it all kind of wraps up like, oh, she gets an apartment, everything, you know. So it's like a very like, they're just wrapping up all the threads at the end here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just like her, you know, having a life. <laughs> it's nice. It's nice to see. Yes. <laughs> yep. And then the end of Lucille's perspective is in just three more days, I'd be leaving for New York City. The night before I left, Daniel and I would be heading over to Mr. Miyagi's place for dinner, which serves as a transition to me. Mr. Miyagi's perspective. Yeah, my, which... my, my note there is just, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, okay. But, you know, he's in his old head. The only thing that stands out is he still refers to Lucille-san and Daniel-san. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, it seems more like a character affect of Mr. Miyagi's than, like, anything else. So, yeah. yeah. That part is not racist in my evaluation. Thankfully, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just kind of a sweet moment where he observes Daniel and Lucille like just being a mom and a son. Like yeah. they're listening to some music and they like get emotional over a song and then they like hug or something like that. So I think the point is just, I guess, to see them having a nice tender moment as a mother and son. And then, yeah, and then we're briefly back in Lucille's point of view where she's at the airport. It's kind of, I you know, if you're to point out a strong suit, it's like, it's kind of a framed story in that way where it's like you start mm. at the airport, you end at the airport. Yeah. She's coming back home in the beginning into all these problems, but she's leaving her problems behind. Um, so that was a nice, neat way to end it for sure. And kind of an interesting parallel, I think, with um, how the movies go where we're kind of like, yeah, Lucille's got stuff in the background, but like, you know, it usually gets resolved and we think she's going to be fine. Um, this is sort of like Daniel's got some stuff in the background. I mean, maybe not even has stuff. He's just like moving to a new apartment and going to college and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, you know, he's going to be fine with his mom leaving for New York. You know, he's on his feet now and blah, blah, blah. And then I think, you know, the plane leaves. That's kind of the end. And the weirdest part, though, is that the author usually has a note at the end of any, every chapter. But like, you know, that typical fanfic dot net yeah. sort of like oh no, poor Lucille, what's going to happen next? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And <laughs> the author's note at the end of this chapter is more later, exclamation mm-hmm. point. So I think it's unclear whether they intended to continue the story or if they wanted to have a follow-up story because it does feel fairly resolved in I think the so, tension yeah. that I have. They could have intended more, but I think this is a good stopping point. Well, you mentioned the framing with, with the start of the airport, into the airport. Nice. Yeah. yeah, did she? Did this author do any other karate kit? I was just gonna. I guess they did. Uh, looks like on fanfic.net anyway, there is one other, but I don't. It doesn't look related. To, like it's in a series. It was, and it was written before this. Mm. Um, it looks like just yeah, standalone yeah. one shot. Um, so yeah, no sequel here. No sequel, though. I mean, maybe they intended a sequel, but that does bring me to a good transition. There's something you know before. We kind of go into more Karate Kid, Cobra Kai, fandom world stuff. This author, CNJ, they're prolific. Um, they have 67 stories on fanfic.net. Wow. And the fandoms really have a range. Like you mentioned, there's two Karate Kid. There's Babysitter's Club. There's Roseanne. There's a couple other sitcoms. Like um, there's a bunch of Harry Potter. Uh, yep. Um, obviously, but Star Trek, well, the next know. generation, next gen, couple next gen, Ooh, next gen. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, it does seem a lot of like just looking through the genre tags. It seems like they write about fam, like a lot of family and friendship, kind of, oh. which seems to make sense with like 
I don't know. That's what this story was really. If you're gonna like sum up what the story is about, it's like get by with a little help from your friends. It's like she. I mean, it's about. I guess mm-hmm. I don't know. I was trying to think of like what is the story about or what is Karate Kid about. Like Karate Kid is about like facing your fears and standing up for yourself and standing and up. Mentorship, you know. I think. Yeah, 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 totally. So I guess I guess yeah, this Community. way is a, a bit about mentorship. Yeah. Like Alicia helps Lucille. Yeah, Lucille yeah. helps the other women. So you have that. What I I guess if I would have had to like wanted something, I would have wanted like a classic Karate Kid style comeuppance for Gary. Like I wanted Gary to have right. like yeah. get sprayed with a hose or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know? She beats him at the computer tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess exactly. yes, exactly. Oh, good one, Don. <laughs> but yeah, that's just not. It doesn't seem like. Not that I've read any of the other fix, but like that that that's what this author is concerned with. They're more concerned with the family dynamics and like. A lot of Karate Kid is about found family or mm-hmm. original family, like the relationship between Lucille and Daniel. And it's interesting they focused on the character of Lucille. Oh, I also wanted to mention this author has a seventh heaven fanfic <laughs> of all things. Dude, wow. I remember yeah. I didn't watch that show, but it was always on like right before or right after The Simpsons. I was like a huge <laughs> Simpsons, which is like not the show to pair it with. But I think was that on? I don't know. I remember I always saw it advertised, but I was never watching it. But yeah, what a. I saw it. It's very religious in tone. Like it's about oh, yeah. like a very like a Protestant family where the dad's a preacher oh, and geez. like a lot of like religious moral lessons. Like I I don't know. I had forgotten about that. Yeah. Like, Do you guys? Like, the image that came to mind was a bunch of blonde kids. I don't even know that's right yeah. or not. Jessica Biel right. got her start on that yep. show. Yeah. There there's definitely a blonde. Boy, there were a lot of there. They had like five kids. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was yeah, no. um not to not not to get too distracted, but it, it there, there's a great just like real life just ironic twist in that the the author the the actor that plays the father, I think later got into like a a relationship with a fan like a like um a younger much younger woman that was a fan of the show and mm. like married her or something and it was a little like icky. So it's like. Yes, it's like yeah, the right, gossip right. that I wanted. It's so terrible, but yes, the right. seventh heaven guy. No, I know. Like I've haven't seen that show. I remember watching it when I was like a little kid because it would just be on TV, and you know, you get like interest in the characters or whatever. A lot of it's about the kids, but watching it, I remember like seeing it a couple times when I got a little older, like in my teens. I was like, this is. <laughs> propaganda and trash. <laughs> yeah. I, I might have watched it but none of it got recorded to long-term memory i, I, I remember more matlock episodes than seven yeah. <laughs> this author also has a cagney and lacy fanfics so. wow yeah like, nice i don't know very interesting eclectic sort of repertoire it's a, it's here. a tv kid for sure mm-hmm. <laughs> seems like an author who yeah kind of grew up well or maybe was a little older than us but like watch a lot of the TV that we watched growing up and like that's all they had available to them was to watch those yeah. things on TV and they wrote about everything that and anything under the sun that they was available to them. Yeah, if we're guessing about the author, uh, they would be about our age or plus or minus a few years and this mm-hmm. you said this was posted in 2000, 2001? 2002. 2002, so that would have been like late middle school, early high school. Yeah, so I'm guessing the, I should keep the that author's mind probably. About my criticism. <laughs> well, I'm guessing the author's probably older, like 
than me at least because in 2002 I was 13 mm-hmm. and this doesn't feel like a story that was written by a 13 year old I mean it could be it could be very talented it seems like they understand the perspective of like a working woman and a mother and they're like yeah. very concerned with stuff that like yeah. wouldn't have occurred to me when I was 13 yep I agree so what do you both think about this as a continuation of the movies and in opposition to like Cobra Kai <laughs> That's a really complicated question, Tala. Yes. <laughs> um, because this is like a post-series continuation. Yeah, I, I want to just say something really brief because I'm sure Sarah will have much more enlightened perspectives, but <laughs> that the tone of this and the tone of Cobra Kai are vastly different. Della, you mentioned earlier off mic that Cobra Kai is more kind of a subversion of the tropes of Karate Kid. This is very much fitting within what I think is the wholesome tone of mm. karate kid D- is lucille in cobra kai she does make some appearances yeah oh yeah yeah it's pretty neat yeah i agree exactly tori that the this is like fits within the a kind of expectation of the viewer which is that daniel larusso is like a hero like he's a he's a secondary character here he's a supportive role but he's like the Daniel that we know and love is like, he always has his heart in the right place and he's trying to help his mom. Um, yeah. And I did really enjoy like seeing um, kind of a, a challenge and a journey for Lucille, you know, that's like, that's a great concept. I feel like and a great place to start. Like there are some, like probably some corny moments and some simplified story. And, um, but I liked like, the premise of it and i think overall it's like it did what it said on the tin like what it was supposed to do Mm -hmm. i think that was great but yeah cobra kai is like the great interesting part especially so there's five seasons now cobra kai and they're going to do a sixth in my opinion the, the strongest season or seasons are one and two and those started on youtube youtube red which was like their brief foray into being a streaming kind of network that produced shows before it went to Netflix for two seasons. It was on YouTube. And yeah, the, the great premise is that immediately it starts off and you're in Johnny Lawrence's shoes, who was your bully. And Johnny is no longer the kind of cocky um, rich kid that you recognized from Karate Kid. He is like a washed up middle-aged loser who's like hungover or drunk pretty much all the time. He doesn't have a great job. Um, he's like, you know, barely paying the rent on this shitty apartment that he's in. And then the way that we see Daniel Russo is the way that Johnny sees him, which is like this smarmy, rich kind of like, uh, the, like the, and he is like positioned kind of as the villain where you're, cause you're immediately rooting for Johnny. You're like, this guy is like the worst, but also I love him. Like <laughs> he is crass. He's like, has sort of like he is not a racist, but he has like the way that he speaks is like not how you should speak about like, like your hero of the story who is named Miguel. He's kind of like the newest sort of Daniel version where he moves to the valley and he's Johnny's neighbor. Like Johnny says some stuff to him and you're like, well, that's, you know, that's not right. But anyway, so like Johnny's rough, but he's also kind of like lovable and he's, and he like defends Miguel like against some bullies and then he ends up teaching him karate. So he Johnny is the Miyagi figure in Cobra Kai. And so you're rooting for him to like start this new dojo. And um, 
Johnny sees Cobra Kai as this great dream that he had that's failed and he's trying to resurrect it. Um, so anyway, I'm just now, I guess I'm just describing Cobra Kai, but that is where you start. So it is a- absolutely an inversion where like the villain is now the hero. The the former hero is like this, like he is now the rich man um, that has everything that our hero Johnny sort of wants and has lost. Yeah. And look, like, um, I know we're retro fanfic, but I have been kind of burning inside to talk about uh, Cobra Kai and its relationship, especially emotionally to me with uh, with Karate Kid. And I think this fanfic is the perfect window for that because this fanfic is in tone. Cobra Kai is not. And when you say, you can say subversion and that makes sense to me. But at the same time, like, I'm like, I'm okay with like seeing, I like the first season for the sense that like seeing Johnny's character kind of develop. And first of all, he already you have a reversal in that he's no longer the rich kid, as you mentioned, Sarah. Like he's really down on his luck. Like, yeah, this is what happens to assholes. Uh, <laughs> you know, you almost like, you hate to see it and yet you kind of love to see it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But then seeing him develop in his relationship with Miguel is lovely. What I don't like about the show, and you might be able to change my perspective, I don't know, is um, Daniel being the rich car dealership owner and kind of being, it doesn't even matter that he ended up making money or even that he owns a car dealership. It's just that he's very intractable in his perspective on Johnny. And it just feels like Daniel would be a little more compassionate like he is in this fan fiction. Mm. But yeah. I know Cobra Kai heard him. I understand that. But yeah, I don't know. He seems out of character to me. You don't think he kept the growth from the movies? No, I don't think yeah. so. That That's kind of what like drove me crazy. And and there, it maybe wouldn't if I wasn't so in love with Karate Kid and the whole hero trope that's there. Like, you want to put yourself in Daniel's shoes. And like, again, the reason a lot of people didn't like the third movie is seeing his growth reverse. Like, you want to see him grow and be the hero and it's simple but it's satisfying yeah yeah well, t- talking about the movies a little bit like it didn't seem to me like karate kid should have had a second because like it was a pretty well contained first movie with a with the hero arc and then the problem with that as you sometimes find with like shown in anime and stuff is that like once the hero learns a lesson but the story keeps going it's like oh shit they gotta learn a uh, new lesson, uh, same lesson, uh, rival mm-hmm. lesson, uh, shit. <laughs> That's kind of the feeling you get sometimes. And That's a good point. It's an interesting thing to extract that to a, a middle-aged version of the character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot there. And yeah, those are all great points. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, that is like common fan dialogue. I think especially during that first season, or a lot of people did not like this interpretation of Daniel. So the showrunners did get a lot of like feedback, like, what have you done to Daniel? You know? And I feel like some of the things that I kind of had heard, had heard uh, sort of in defense of that, which I agree with is that, um, yeah, I mean, Daniel in the, in that first film, what he learns to do is sort of like face his fears and stand up for himself and for Allie, you know, and, and Johnny is obviously cartoonishly bad, yeah, there there is a little mm-hmm. glimmer of like you can see 
that this kid maybe has some like more complicated problems, like at the end of Karate Kid when Kreese asks yeah. Johnny to sweep the leg, you know, and he doesn't want to do it, but he does it anyway. Yeah. You um, get the impression that he's just being controlled by the environment. Yeah. Well, and then yeah. he gets beat up by Kreese, you know, and that yeah. gets pulled back in to, they, they repeat that scene twice, I think, like <laughs> where he, where Kreese like, beats Johnny up for disobeying him. Yeah, yeah. Um, you see it in the beginning yeah. of uh, Karate Kid 2 That's and then yeah, they, they flash back. Oh yeah, maybe it is three. Or no, it's, it's the beginning of the both. second movie because it's, oh, they do flashback again. It's in again. both. Yeah, they you do. so many the, flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they flashback in the beginning of two because that's where you're supposed to like, you're jumping off point, but then they yep. also do a bunch of flashbacks at the beginning of three and that's one of them. Poor Johnny. But that's because yeah. they were trying to like emphasize where Crease <laughs> was because that's yeah. when Crease was in a bad place. Anyway, doesn't matter. Point is, is that they bring that scene back a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so Crease is like the cartoonish kind of villain. And so, Daniel's like positioned kind of opposite that in like all those movies. Um, but I think where you, where you can kind of like see where the creators were going is like Daniel is a hothead. That never changes. Mm -hmm. He's very react. He's not only reactive, but he's like, like if you, you really look into the karate kid um, and there's this great reaction, but you might've seen it. And it's this YouTube video called um, Daniel LaRusso was the real villain. And they like, it's kind of <laughs> oh tongue in cheek, God. but it like, so like one of the big things is like in the movies, um, like Johnny and Daniel come to this kind of truce where they're not supposed to fight until the tournament. And then at mm -hmm. the school dance, um, Daniel goes into the bathroom and like, while Johnny's rolling a joint in the stall, he like sets a hose on him. And so that, you know, Johnny gets pissed and then they chase Daniel down and beat the crap out of him. But like, like, so you can see like Daniel started that, like he, there's no reason for him to sort of be provoking Johnny like that. So that is something you can cling on. Like he's kind of a little shit, like, he, and he's kind of a shit starter. So yeah. that cocky, not, I don't know if you call that cockiness or that kind of the attitude that like that is, you see that in the Cobra Kai Daniel where he's like, you're just like, chill the fuck out, Daniel. Like. You know, but he keeps kind of provoking Johnny's reactions in this way. So he's like still immature in that way that you can see in the first Karate Kid movie, but also like that's that's not really resolved. Like that's still part of Daniel. Um, so anyway, there's yeah, there's some stuff like that where it I feel like with a little more thought, you're like, OK, I can actually see this like shitty little shithead car dealer in, in within that old heroic Daniel from the movies. Yeah, but I don't want to see it. <laughs> anyway. Well, I, I can kind of see it because, um, you know, I, I used to watch a lot of sitcoms and stuff. Uh, one of the ones I watched was How I Met Your Mother. Mm -hmm. And Neil Patrick Harris's character on that, one of his quirks was that he loved Johnny from Karate Kid. And this was a continuing thread that they keep, keep on writing up. And they're like, what, you, you don't like uh, like Daniel in that? It's like, uh, no, the name of the movie is The Karate Kid, not The Skinny Kid from New Jersey Got One Karate Lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny is The Karate Kid. It's <laughs> a good point. I mean, yeah. yeah you, uh, and it, like, it escalates to the point where they have an episode with actually bring on, uh, you know, uh, Daniel and Johnny <laughs> for, for his like bachelor party where like they pretend to do a very like the worst bachelor party for him ever where they hire Ralph Macchio and he's like this is terrible at the end you find out that the Johnny guy was there also and he, like the real karate kid and he gets like emotional <laughs> and William this was, Sabka uh, 
yeah, this was a little bit before um, <laughs> the Cobra Kai. I, I I don't remember exactly where it is on the <laughs> on the real life timeline, but this was like a couple of years before the Cobra Kai re- reboot. So they were already thinking about um, recontextualizing Karate Kid in, in, in that context. I think back then. Yeah, and I understand that. It's just that <laughs> I feel like something that's always been understood about the Karate Kid movies is that Daniel's the underdog. Yeah. That's that's the whole point. Like, it's a hero's journey narrative. And, like, it's almost just being, like, to me, look, I grew up with it, so maybe I have a little bit too much reverence for it <laughs> and, like, being a martial artist and blah, blah, blah. But, yeah. like, I, I know that. I know that. But I, I'm not... I understand what the subversion can do. It's just like, for me, I already knew that it was a <laughs> like a, a corny kind of trope. It's just satisfying to watch the yeah. underdog win, you know, yeah. like, and believe that they're a good person and a hero. Like, you know. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, for me, it's like watching Cobra Kai um, Daniel initially starts out where you he's he's dislikable, but I think if you keep watching it, I don't know. At least in my opinion, especially like a, maybe more as an adult or so. Especially, I mean, I don't have kids or anything like that. But what you kind of realize is like Daniel's he's grown up, he's been successful, and like what are the challenges then in your life when you like got the wife, I've got the kids, my kids go to great schools, I have enough money, I have like this sort of prestige from owning my own business, I'm successful. Mm-hmm. But then, and then where is your life? What do you do? And yeah. Daniel's problem yeah. is that he has lost something, which is karate and what he, and that sort of pursuing of that kind of mechanism of balance in his life that he has lost. And, and a lot of that comes, came from losing Mr. Miyagi. And I don't know that mm-hmm. this show does the best job of like, um, putting forth what kind of loss that did to Daniel. Like, I feel like they're kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if they do the best job like translating that loss for him. Cause I think that was like, not only did Daniel lose his father at a young age, Miyagi became that. And then losing that again, even if he's an adult would be like, I think that did something to him. And I think a lot of fanfic writers have done a much better job with that actually. Um, but anyway, that, that is, I guess I in the way I understand for you that that original positioning is like a comfortable place to be. I do like kind of exploring how Daniel then like, what do you do when you get to the top? And like, and that is like more of an adult challenge to think about. And it's not as neat probably. Certainly. And you know, in in all of that, um, I don't think they strayed too far from the character. I just think that the tone is different. And that being said, um, I am curious. Um, you mentioned something of what fanfic writers have done with this in, in in ways that you're familiar with. Like, what ways have fanfic writers or the fans sort of even, I guess, subverted further or reverted even um, what Cobra Kai has done? That's a good question. I don't have a real... Articulate answer, probably. I mean, I think what fan fiction always does is that it takes the time to explore stuff that the show just does not have time to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly the 
you know, the biggest ship that immediately came out of that is, of course, a slash ship. It's like pe- fans saw the chemistry between Daniel and Johnny, and then they made that into something like romantic. So that is a big part of fan the fan fiction. It's still the biggest kind of ship in the fandom. So you'll find a lot of that. And so that kind of like exploration of like the like essentially enemies to lovers kind of thing which is always fun for Mm -hmm. a lot of people and like kind of finding what um you know kind of the yin yang there what those characters do for each other but but yeah it's not just that i feel like there's some some great stories that um kind of got i don't know and i tried to do that too with like explaining some of daniel's um actions is like um uh, he's just lost without his like sensei or his teacher. So he does these like rash things, um, like trying to ruin Johnny's business in season one because he didn't have somebody there to be like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? And so that kind of like, I don't know, the show did a bit of that, but um, kind of going into more of like Daniel's history with Miyagi. And then those years where like, after the Karate Kid movies where Daniel still has a relationship with Mr. Miyagi, but then he starts this family. So, of course, Mr. Miyagi becomes a stand-in grandfather for Daniel's kids. And, like, what was Miyagi like as a kind of a grandfather figure um, in his life? And, um, yeah, I don't know. I Yeah, I don't have anything specific. And it has been a long time since I've, like, dug into the fic, but I feel like just taking the time to, like, fill in those those bits is always... A great thing, but yeah, right, right in the right out in the wake of that season one too, the fan fiction, especially when Netflix took over the show in twenty twenty, maybe like the fandom just jumped way, way up. Like the stories, the number of stories just spiked. Like it was a relatively mm. smallish fandom when it was on YouTube, like, um, like in the hundreds of stories kind of thing. But as soon as it sort of spiked up with Netflix, like there's, I don't know how many stories are in the fandom now, but there are a lot. Yeah, well, I I really appreciate you bringing up the um Johnny and um Daniel slash because like I feel like the best parts of the show and I I've seen all five seasons is that is when those two are are con- either confronting each other or getting along like any interaction between those two is just like it's great the acting's great like the writing's great um and I think it's like at least for me it's only disappointing when they end up like icing each other out like i don't even care if they're like yeah. confronting each other angrily i just want to see them interact <laughs> yeah that was like something i think all the fans responded to is like the chemistry between ralph macchio and william safka still because these mm-hmm. actors both have done things in between but nothing that um I mean, Ralph Macchio, to some extent, you know, he did some movies like My Cousin Vinny, but his career really, like, he became kind of a father and I think was probably typecast a little bit. And then just kind of his career really kind of went down after that Karate Kid Outsiders. You know, My Cousin Vinny was like the last big thing, but really people know him as the Karate Kid. So seeing him and Zabka come back 30 some years later and they still have this like great spark. Yeah. um, It's super fun to see on screen. Well, and it is rare to find talented martial artists who are also talented actors. Like, not as rare as some other things, but, like, those are two very disparate skill sets that one has to bring together. And 
again, like that's another great thing about Cobra Kai is they bring in these kids who are also very talented martial artists um, and actors yeah. as well. So they really and none, didn't none do of those anything. kids. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I totally interrupted you. Um... <laughs> oh no, I was just gonna say that they they didn't do anything wrong in terms of casting. That's all I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, and Z- Zabka had. I think some martial arts experience before he was cast as Johnny. Um, but a lot of that training happened, um, you know, during the filming, Ralph Macchio had no experience and it's, it's pretty apparent like Ralph Macchio does not. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, mm-hmm. he didn't keep it up the way that William Zavka really is now a black belt. Cause he kept, he liked the karate and he kept it going during his life. So by the time you get to Cobra Kai, you've got a, a wonderful actor who, yeah, absolutely is a great martial artist. Um, but the kids I think were all pretty much trained, for Cobra Kai and yeah they're amazing like especially I probably uh, to me peak Cobra Kai was the end of season two they have this fight at the high school which results in Miguel injuring himself which is a big cliffhanger but like all of the kids are just doing these crazy choreographed fights and it's like a one shot so so photography wise it's an amazing sequence um but to me yeah this the story was also kind of at its peak there I felt like so I don't know. For for me personally, like season three was okay, and then four and five are also kind of like just sort of silly. And not, I think they tried to cram way too much story. So t- for me, it's seasons one and two are the best um, that that writing ever was. Honestly, it might actually be the tension that I sense in the writing that is the the thing that throws me off. Is like as if they want to have it be like Karate Kid, but then they also want to subvert it, if that makes sense. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, it is kind of hard to reconcile. Like, both have Daniel as kind of this um, antagonist against what Johnny wants, but to also be able to humanize him, but make him sympathetic as the rich car dealer is, like, very difficult. I think they try and do that as, like, a father, but it's it's really hard yeah like especially because that's like anti the code of karate kid it was about he's the underdog partially because he's poor like eh, yeah Yeah. i don't know but it happens but it happens in real life you know sometimes you people do make it and they kind of lose track of like what might have made them i don't know it's it's like always the challenge of movies it's like we want a story that feels contained and that is like transport to somewhere and it should be realistic but not like too realistic because life is kind of boring and it doesn't have the satisfying emotional journey that you know an arc of a story does so it's like what do you uh yeah i don't know i i completely understand what you're saying it's like i don't know kind of want daniel to stay that little scrappy karate kid mm-hmm. i was going to say like it's pretty realistic that a lot of people that who experience trauma when they're kids try to like overcompensate it and then like if you're poor for a kid and then then trying then being an adult and really succeeding and then getting there and then realizing that they haven't dealt with any of the trauma they developed when they were kids or any of the psychological problems or like i know this is completely unrelated but i just rewatched uh steven universe future (laughs) and uh a theme of that cartoon was like Steven Universe as like a little kid going through all this dramatic stuff as attention and then being like 16, 17 and then realizing that he hasn't processed any of it and he's just like like they showed like a 
x-ray at one point where just where all his bones were, were broken at one point. He's like, holy shit, this kid's gone through a lot of trauma and just never processed it. And that's toxic. So, and I, I didn't like it the first time I watched it because of that reason where like, I liked Steven and I didn't like him, like to see him acting. So acting out like that, but like then looking back on it, it's like, oh yeah, if you don't process these things and think about these things and get help for it, then shit gets worse. <laughs> you yeah. Know? You got a wound and you don't treat it, it gets uh, gangrenous, you know. <laughs> Especially, I think, the stuff that happens to you in high school. Like, there's something about high school. Yeah. And it's mm. it's like that sort of, um, I don't know whether it's because the structure of high school, like the social structure becomes kind of this weird little mirror of the real world. But, like, obviously in the show, Johnny never gets over losing that tournament. And to him, that's his problem is that he blames Daniel for everything that ever went wrong in his life after that. And then Daniel kind of never got over Cobra Kai being the big, big, bad, evil thing. And so that is sort of what the show, I think, is trying to, what what they're confronting in Cobra Kai, I guess. He blames Daniel, not the adult that beat him up. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, he does also blame Chris. But anyway, yeah, no, I mean- as far as we understand neuroscience, high school, those teenage years are a very crucial time for brain development. So it's quite understandable that trauma pathways are created and enforced more as they occur at that age. Johnny's character, I understand very well. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, he is the classic bully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, the, the way he turned out, you know, um, it's very understandable. And actually, what I appreciate in Cobra Kai about his journey is like trying. He's like, I want Cobra Kai back because that's where I felt safe. But then yeah. when like Kreese comes back and starts to take over, he slowly goes like, No, no, no. He starts to actually confront his trauma around what Kreese has done to him. Um, yeah, yeah. So that like that whole part of the story, I think, is really done quite well. I kind of want to watch Cobra Kai now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's great. I still have so much love for that show. And I will watch season six when it comes out. I think, uh, I, you know, I should know this. I'm not sure if it's been written and is on hold from airing because of the writer's strike or if it actually hasn't even been written. I would assume it's been written by now and they're just maybe production is on hold. I'm not totally sure, though, but it could be that it's not and the writer's strike is holding it up. But um, apparently it is the last season. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I'll watch it. But I guess for me, like seasons <laughs> one and two were the special seasons that that is. And that is when I was really writing a ton and involved with the fan. I kind of came in and watched season one after it had aired. And then I got to sort of wait as a fan for season two to come out. And I was just blown mm-hmm. away by it. I loved it so much. So that I think part of that is just like those seasons are special because that was my when I was in the Cobra Kai, like really full on. So yeah, that's um, such an interesting yeah. fan experience when you're really into something and then you're into it as it's occurring and then it changes in tone. <laughs> like, yeah. Think about all those poor people that like named the kid Daenerys and stuff, you know, I've <laughs> <laughs> yeah. seen the last season. <laughs> Ooh, we're going to call Ooh. you Danny now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Danny's cute. That's good. That works. That's <laughs> yeah. Well, I did want to kind of start to wrap up, but like kind of one last um, thing to make this connection. 
Sarah, do you think that most people in the Cobra Kai fandom were big fans of Karate Kid Mm. first? Or do you think that a lot of them maybe are younger or came into it from a completely separate lens? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I actually think it's probably pretty split in half. Um, So when I got into Cobra Kai uh, in 2019, I think was when I got into it. Um, I got, of course, I got right into the fan fiction side of fandom. So I got to know writers there and there were writers my age, which was in uh, late 20s, early 30s that had seen the show, had seen the movies and liked the movies as kids, but never were like huge fans of it. And then there were some people I met that um, had never seen it and had just seen the show and then went back and watched the movies. So the show, somehow they just got a hold of the show, which again was on YouTube and YouTube was pushing it promotion-wise a lot. And I remember seeing the trailer and thinking, oh, the cor- are those the original actors? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. And then I met some people who were like lifelong Karate Kid fans, like the host of Cobra Kai Companion, which I'm wearing their shirt now. This is uh, Brianna <laughs> and Peter. <laughs> Um, (laughs) who uh, hosted uh, a podcast called Cobra Kai Companion. Peter is still doing it, but he's kind of switched on to some other shows and goes by Companion Network now. But Peter and Bree hosted um, Cobra Kai Companion during the the height of the fandom. And um, Brianna is a lifelong fan, huge Ralph Macchio fan. So this show getting rebooted was like an enormous thing for her. And also Peter as well. He grew up, especially Peter is... Um, uh, Asian American, and so he did. You know, seeing Mr. Miyagi on screen was one of those first characters that he latched onto as a kid, and so he was a huge Pat Morita fan. So for both of them, they were huge fans of the original, and then were just thrilled by this reboot. Um, but yeah, I knew a lot of people that had never seen the film, so I I feel like it was a unique thing, and most people did latch onto Johnny and Daniel's characters, but a lot of I know some writers who only wrote the young cast as in the kids, like Sam and Mikel and Robbie, like they were interested in that level of drama at the high school level. And so it was a really neat and exciting fandom at that time um, and really interactive. And it felt really special back then. And we also, the discord still exists, but there was a, there was a, um, a discord called the writer's retreat, which was like, where all the Cobra Kai and Karate Kid writers would go to just talk fic and stuff. And it really ballooned and got big. And it's a huge server now, but um, felt really special at the time. And the writers called themselves the Quiver, which is like a word for a group of Cobras. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was a, that was a long answer, but I would say it was, it was a, about split. It seemed like. A quiver of Cobras. Very interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Also interesting. Sorry, just processing that. Yeah, <laughs> a quiver of. Yeah, which I think Crease brings that up in the show. Like they bring the, that dialogue <laughs> yeah. up at some point. I, which is like an. E- it just feels like an evil. I, I know. I know. <laughs> well, I was thinking like a quiver for arrows, but it's just filled with cobras. <laughs> yes, way, that yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> No, thank thank you for that answer because it has been kind of a curiosity of mine, like how the fandom developed and, yeah. and what its roots are. Because, like, I'm I, I mostly because of my whole like the tones don't connect. So, do people really connect these things? And apparently, yeah, some people do and some people don't. 
I, I totally understand young people being into the show, like people that don't have Karate Kid movie experience, but I'm just wondering how they start, you know? What, what's the... Yeah. How, how do they see it and go like, yeah, I'll, I'll try watching a season of that, you know? Yeah. I think it really it blew up on Netflix and was like the number one show on Netflix for like several weeks on end. So it's just, it had a lot of exposure. Um, oh, so they did a good it, job. It a, so when that third season a, came out, it got a lot of new viewers and um, probably some younger viewers as well. So, so it's like on the trending list and stuff and people saw it. Oh yeah. yeah. It was up there like I Stranger mean, Things had come out. So it was for a while right. it was like, oh, Cobra Kai beat the Stranger Things record or Stranger <laughs> Things took it back. So it seemed like that was Yeah. They were like, I, I've been on YouTube for a while and I remember when they were pushing Cobra Kai season one and two and I, I had to actively not watch it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually got a YouTube red subscription because of the show. I was like, Oh, I have to Oh jeez. I think I watched the first episode was free and then I was like hooked and I was and I That's still have yeah. Now I still have the YouTube premium, so they got me for sure. Hey kid, first one's free. Yep. Oh dear. <laughs> You sound like a Karate Kid villain. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Join Cobra Kai. I'm just here in the late 80s. <laughs> 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 That's, That's it. Okay. So, uh, if I could stop laughing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, go ahead. Transition from that. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm really working very hard. I need my quiver of Cobras. So <laughs> 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 I can... Fire one at you, Della, at my bow. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. Moving on. Um, that was an excellent discussion. I'm really <laughs> glad that we got to talk about Cobra Kai 2. Um, we usually end the show on first what we'd like to criticize about the fic, or rather not criticize, that's the wrong word. Um, what we thought could have been done better. And then we'll end on praise. So I know we've kind of been talking about this all along, but is there anything you all would like to point out specifically about what could have been done better in the fiction? I think like a lot of my notes were kind of ed editing notes, which I think for, well, we mentioned before in a few episodes where when that happens, it's like we like the ideas and we like the author's um, enthusiasm for it. We just would like to fix the way they do it. So... <laughs> This is kind of praise also, but uh, a lot of it is just like how the information is uh, portrayed, I think, to use uh, some brevity, I think. Like there's a lot of it where it's like, then this happens and this happens and this happens. It could use a little bit more um, uh, quippy pace, I guess. Yeah, I would say, yeah, just because um, the kind of the plot idea was is there mm -hmm. um but like the pay, like it jumps around the, the time jumps and um um yeah i guess like tori i kind of prefer personally like a more kind of literary flowery sort of pretty style and so if you're looking into like the kind of the language aesthetic it's not really there it's just very like play, like like we said like the grammar's there it's it's totally fine in that way but it's just kind of very stark or plain um so i kind of like a little bit flower almost to a fall like i find some of my writing i look back and be like okay you're going on there are a lot of like yeah. you're trying to get to somewhere poetic so that's um probably a middle ground is is uh the ideal but um yeah i think that's kind of just, it's just generally like plotting pacing yeah. kind of stuff yeah would probably uh, be I, I, 
I think that's kind of the idea where it's like you you con you contract the like day to day stuff and you expand the emotional element of it. Yeah, yeah, like um, I, yeah, that's a good point. The emotional thing, like the emotion, her emotions are there, but like I always want to know, like, what else is going? Like, how is mm. um losing your husband? Like, are you? You're like lonely mm-hmm. at this time and you don't have that support. Like if you got a husband, like you could talk about this, but you don't. And so this would maybe be a time where she's missing having that. Are you so there's there's really no that? no mention of that. Um, um yeah, I don't know. And and some of the cart the characters are a bit cartoonish, <laughs> especially Gary. Although I kind of loved that too, sort of how silly yeah, he was. But yeah. <laughs> fucking Gary. There's no chance of you liking Gary. <laughs> None. No. Which in its own way, like we said, is very karate kiddish. But yeah, I, I think that like um, all of that I relate to a lot because like if they're really interested in the character of Lucille, why not do a little bit of a deeper dive? And I feel like they were trying to balance their like kind of karate kid surface level tone with mm. um, what was being done. I think for me, the biggest thing would have been if like if you're going for a karate kid tone... Uh, why don't up the stakes? Why don't have some like bigger conflict? We sort of touched on this before, but like bigger conflict with Gary. Why does he just like kind of laugh at people in the background and then it all kind of <laughs> peters out? Like I would have wanted some sort of like a build up to some sort of climax, but that's more of a personal preference, I think, and my interpretation of how the tone should have been in relationship to Karate Kid, which is another thing that comes up for me with Cobra Kai. So. That might just be more a personal preference. This author clearly wanted to do like this kind of wholesome little narrative and be concise. And I guess that kind of leads us into what we would like to praise, which for me is I'm just always impressed when an author can do something concisely and really wrap it up because I get meandering and (laughs) overly flowery language is something in my repertoire. And some people might praise that, but I am impressed when an author can just kind of get their idea out and make it a whole beginning, middle, end and make it feel, I don't know, feel wrapped up, feel like tied in a neat little package, put a bow on it. That's true. They'd have like a, like a sourced beginning, then a middle, then like a satisfying end. It didn't feel like it was too long or too short. It it felt about right. It felt very satisfying. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think I I love the idea of it as someone who's in their late thirties themselves. (laughs) I love the idea of focusing on, on a character that's, uh, you know, trying to live and dealing with it. And like the, the idea that like they never talked about the patriarchy in the Karate Kid movies, and this is somebody who is directly facing that and what that means, and how that relates to like Daniel being a supportive person in in that respect and dealing with systems of oppression. I I, I love this idea. When I read, read like the like the brief description of it, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm all for this. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's hear mom work and the kid go to go to college. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I guess I would say, um, for me, there were some moments where you were really like rooting for Lucille, especially when she gets yeah. she gets alone and she comes into work and she's, uh, yeah. I guess when she's taking classes and she recruits those other women and really helps them out, like that was like, yeah, that's like awesome. Um, there was like some moments of triumph there. 
And um, yeah, even though Gary's cartoonish, I kind of, especially like in the, right in the beginning where he's like in the boardroom, like pitching Lucille's idea and she like looks at him and he like, it's also corny, but like the cold glint in it. Like every time Gary looks, he's like looking coldly, but something yeah. about that just kind of made me like, it's like this fucking guy is the worst, but I love sometimes you want your villain to just be the worst and he was yeah. the worst. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I, I found him entertaining that way. I appreciate the patriarchy villain just being cartoonishly bad. We don't need to humanize. We don't need to justify. No, they fucking suck. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Yeah. And then I guess just her friend, like the, like the, yeah, the ultimate message I think of this is just like, do you need your friend kind of family and friends and helping each other out? And so the way Daniel and then uh, Alicia help out Lucille, I mean, I would, I know we're not supposed to be going back to criticism. I would have maybe liked to seen a little more kind of like, spunk from lucille but also um you know yeah she was in a tough position like Della said yeah. earlier so it was nice to see daniel kind of being there for his mom and that happens when you get to that age in college you're trying to you're starting to be an adult and those roles yeah. sometimes reverse a bit where he's starting to look out for her a little more whereas the normal role is the instead of getting taken care of by his mom so uh that was cool yeah yeah well, it sounds like we all kind of had the same perspective on this that like, yeah, they could have done a little more drama or they could have done a little bit more. But like in general, it was very sweet and it was very wholesome mm-hmm. and an enjoyable read. So um, and on that note, <laughs> we've had a very sweet and a very wholesome discussion. And I appreciate you being here for us, Sarah. Thank you for yeah. taking the time. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah, like we love having you. Um, would you like to plug <laughs> your podcast or your fan fiction, whatever you want to do? <laughs> um, yes, although I feel like the last, the other two times I've come on here, I've said the same thing, which is like, oh, there's not much going on with my podcast <laughs> at the moment, which is um, fine with me. I just do an episode now and again when I when I feel the the urge. So yeah, Perfect. my my podcast is talking fanfic. So you can um yeah, find me on Tumblr and Twitter and I do author interviews and then sometimes I just get on with my sister and we talk sort of topical stuff, um, which we need to do soon. Um and then right now as writing wise is taking up most of my time. I'm in the Oasis RPF Phantom, which is extremely <laughs> random. You know the song Wonderwall. That's the band Oasis from the nineties. So that is, I'm just writing a ton in that right now. Um, yeah, speaking of family drama, the Gallagher brothers are just a font of all the family <laughs> angst that you want to to imagine. So um, Story Shark 2005 is my author handle. Um, and yeah, and I've written Cobra Kai and some Smallville stuff as well. So um, yeah, it's it's there <laughs> if you want yeah. it. And speaking of podcast episodes, you, you had like an episode recently about like, you too, you brought on a weird guest, right? <laughs> yes, I'm so sorry. If she was, oh, yes, I would love to promote that. Yeah, my last episode was because the Oasis RPF stuff led me into a conversation with Tori about their love for U2. And U2 is, there's like a lot happening right now in that band with the um, the shows in Vegas, The Sphere. Um, and we found some U2 fic to discuss, but we also just talked about U2 and Tori's history with U2 and um, kind of contrasted it with Oasis a bit because U2 is like very, it's a band that's been together for 
40 years now, whatever. Yeah. And um, those guys are just, they love each other, which is wonderful. Not that they haven't had their challenges, but it was a great couple, three hours that Tori and I spent talking together. Yeah. So please do, um, if you're a fan of this podcast and you like listening to Tori, um, it's an <laughs> awesome discussion. So I was very yeah. happy to have Tori on for that. I, I didn't expect that much discussion about Irish history and the troubles, but you know, I, yeah. I'm all for that. <laughs> I didn't either. Sarah was like all up in that knowledge, but yeah, all yeah, up no. in that Wikipedia page reading. No, but that right. was yeah. I got probably too much into that, but that was like the Irishness of you two was cool to. I don't know. They're a great band, and um, mm -hmm. yeah, but context yeah. is important. It was great. Yeah, yeah. No, and um, my favorite part—not to get too into the weeds before we wrap up—but <laughs> my favorite part of our discussion was like contextualizing like you two's kind of religious background um, with their Irish history and like what that means, you know. So anyway, that um, was a really fun episode for me to be on. So if you know, if you listen to talking <laughs> fanfic, uh, check out my episode too. But Sarah's episodes are always great. Um, she always comes very prepared. And one of the best things at her music themed episodes is she will put band clips in like clips of the music. Yeah. So and and timestamps for everything. So that's the wonderful thing about talking fanfic. So please <laughs> check out talking fanfic. If you like fanfic, it's not just RPF, but if you like RPF, if you like fanfic, it's definitely a place to go to. So oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So we are at our close. This discussion was of Backlashed by CNJ. Um, you can find it at um on fanfic.net and we'll put a link in the episode description. Um, the intro song to the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Our podcast is edited by Della Rose, who is sitting next to me. You didn't have to see it. <laughs> <laughs> and who's wonderful. Oh. Uh, you can find our podcast on our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. If you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com, Facebook at Retrofanfic, or you can find us on Twitter at Retrofanfic. I'm Tori. I'm Della. And I'm Sarah. We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other. Until next time, take care. <laughs> You're the best around. Around. No one's, no gonna, one's ever ever gonna, gonna keep, keep you down. down. <laughs> You're the best <laughs> around. No one's ever gonna uh, keep you down. <laughs> <laughs>